Good morning. For those of you that do not know me, I am Jeff Randolph. I am the student pastor here at Mount Airy, and uh, it is a privilege to be up here. This is now my second service that I've ever gotten to be in the sanctuary for on Sunday morning. So, y'all, buckle up. This is going to be fun. So, I'm from the state of Virginia. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I went through all of my primary school, secondary school, and college in the state of Virginia, um, and I met my great wife, Sarah, who's from Anderson, South Carolina, and married into a very orange family down here. And with that information, I got one question to ask. Did anybody see any games yesterday? Um, Because I know I was excited to see that Liberty beat UCLA in men's basketball. Y'all thought I was going to talk about something else? No, I'm not going to touch on any of those other divisive issues this morning from the pulpit. But know that It is with excitement that I I join you this morning. Um, I'm looking forward to what the Lord is going to do in here. Uh, So regardless of whether you're looking backwards at 2018 or you're looking forward to 2019, we have some questions we can ask. We can ask what we've done well. We can ask what we did not do so well. And we can also say, what are we going to do new in 2019? And throughout time, You come to the 30th, 31st of December, into the first of the year, you hear the words, New Year's resolutions. Everybody wants to do something new. But think with me for a second, if you've ever said these things. This year will be different. It's time to make a change. I'm going to make this year better than last year. If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us have said one of those things, if not all three of those things, probably in the last month. And if not in the last month, in the last couple years that we've tried to say, hey, I'm going to make a change. Something's going to be different. I don't want the next year to be the same as this year. But here's the question. Why do we make New Year's resolutions? Why do we come every single year to the first of the year and say, hey, this year's going to be different. This year's going to be a change. This year, X, Y, and Z. For me, I think the answer lies in the fact that there's a blank slate. There's a clean slate, a clean calendar in front of you. And possibilities are endless. But why is it that every New Year's Eve, December 31st at 11.59 p.m., everybody's getting excited. They're counting down 10, 9, 8, and all of a sudden you get to 1 and the ball drops. For me, it's been a long time since I actually saw the ball drop. I have a beautiful little baby girl. And I value that four hours of sleep between the time she goes to sleep and the time that the ball drops. So... If the ball, for some reason, does not drop in the time that I'm here this week and the time next week, y'all just let me know because I'm not going to stay up and watch it. But here's, here's the question. Why do we celebrate at midnight every single December 31st? Tradition. And we start to think anything is possible. Anything is possible. At midnight, boom, brand new year, nothing's happened yet in 2019, anything is possible. What is so special about December 31st and January 1st rather than March 30th, June 27th, October 31st? Why do we have to wait until the beginning of a new year to press the reset button and say, hey, this year's going to be different? Again, I think it goes back to everybody thinks that that's when you have your clean slate. But this morning, we're going to talk about the fact that you don't have to wait for January 1st have a clean slate. You don't have to wait for January 1st to make that change, to look at those resolutions, and to do something different. 
So if you're following along, go ahead and uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. So while you're turning there, I want us to think about this. There's countless resolutions that we make year after year after year. And for some of us, we accomplish them. Some of us, we don't accomplish them. And some of us, I'll be honest, last year I didn't really make, like, write it down on a piece of paper, New Year's resolution 2018 and write it down. You can't fail if you don't write it down, right? It's a terrible attitude to have. You have to realize that change is possible. But why don't we change? It comes down to these two things. A lot of times we're not willing to do the work or we're not willing to change our perspective. For me, it comes down to the perspective a lot of times. This that we're going to talk about today, the scripture passages that we're in today, they're not going to be the the quick fix to a happy and healthy you in the new year. These are going to be passages that we're going to dive into that are spiritual truth. It's something that we've all heard before. They're stories that we've heard before. But hopefully today we, we look at them and realize that 2019 can look a whole lot different than 2018 if we are willing to make that change. For also being honest this morning, there's a lot of people inside the church that are here this morning and not here this morning and in the world today that say, hey, you don't know how I've messed up. You don't know the decisions that I made in 2018. You don't know what happened to me. And I'm here to say, I don't. I don't know what's happened to you. But guess what? God does. And he knows that your 2019 can look different than your 2018. So we look at the story this morning of of a man named Saul. He eventually became Paul. And we have these excuses of, hey, I've messed up. I've done this. I've done X, Y, and Z. God will never be able to use me. Look with me in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I can say with certainty this morning I think nobody in here is binding Christians and taking them to the high priest. Safe to say that you are not persecuting Christians this morning from your pew, hopefully. And yet here's Saul, a man used by God, we're about to get into that, who is persecuting Christians. But look at this in verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So verses 1 and 2, Saul is saying, hey, you know what? Give me the letters to these churches. I'm going. I'm getting these Christians. I'm putting an end to this. Verses 3 through 9, he encounters God. Look at that. He is just going through his life. He thinks that he is on his way to Damascus. He's about to take Christians against their will. But God intervenes. He encounters God in the midst of a mess. Saul's life here, from the world standards, is everything that he ever needed, everything he ever wanted. He had it. But Saul's life here, from the the eyes of a believer, could not have been further from the truth. For me, I think it's, it's almost ironic that you see here 
that it took his blindness for him to see what was going on. And a lot of times we become so blind to what's going on around us that we fail to see what God's trying to do. So let's, let's keep going here. Just 10 verses later, let's look at how this changes his life. Verse 19 and following. For some days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, it is, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and whose name he called upon this name? Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is what life change looked like. Verse 1 and 2, he is looking for these people to persecute. Verse 19 through 22, he is now the one proclaiming Christ in the synagogues. We think back to our lives in 2018. We might have been the ones that were wreaking havoc. We might have been the ones that were wreaking havoc in our own lives and the lives of those around us. But the change is possible. Change is possible. His life changed entirely when he encountered God. Those verses right there in the middle, he encounters God in the mess. You realize that he thought he knew where he was headed. And God said, you're, you're headed in the right direction, but for the absolute wrong reason. And we start to realize all of this but, but look at Saul and his story here. It said immediately he proclaimed Christ in the synagogue. When he had the strength and the ability to do so, he had no, no thing could physically hold him back from saying, hey, Christ is Lord. Look at Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And he continues to point to Christ. Time and time again, he says, hey, it's not about me. Look at what God has done in my life. We look further into Saul's story. He couldn't contain his excitement. He couldn't contain his joy, the life change that took place. He continues to say, hey, look at what the Lord has done. Something I wanted us to not overlook is even though people questioned him, people doubted his motives, and people even began to murmur about him, he continued to proclaim Christ. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, there's been a lot of times in 2018 that people have doubted our motives. There's been a lot of times in 2018 that maybe we've even doubted our own motives. We've had people murmur about us. They're talking behind our backs, whether it's right or wrong, true or false. And we start to value the opinions and the words of man more than we start to value the, the words of God. And Saul here, he knows that they're murmuring about him. He knows that they're questioning his motives. And he makes the decision to say, hey, you know what? But God, look at Christ. Look what Christ has done in my life. Look what Christ continues to do in my life. And that's the beauty of the gospel because he was unashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16, I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ. And that is so clear here. But it continues. We might never know the full impact that we have on eternity this side of heaven. You think about Saul here. Saul has been persecuting Christians for years. He's standing there holding the coats while Stephen is martyred. He is standing there from time that persecution began to this very moment in Acts 9. Only thing he knows is persecution. And yet, God. We look here. Saul's encounter with God on the road to Damascus led to his personal blindness, but also led to life change. 
If he never encountered God on the road, would he have had the change of heart? I would venture to say no. But you look at verse 31. It says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Saul never got to see the extent of the multiplication of the church in his lifetime. He saw it multiply, but it's continued to multiply. We've had 2,018 years of multiplication, and that is the beauty here. Saul didn't have to know what the end result was. He said, you're calling me? I'm going. He was ready to make that change. He had no choice but the passion that was overflowing from him to continue to proclaim Christ. But here's the other thing. He was so passionate about the gospel that he wrote letters through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that sent roughly 13 books of our New Testament penned by Paul. The man who is persecuting Christians writes about a third of our New Testament. Life change is possible. And we're actually going to take a look at, at one of those letters. So if you're following along, Galatians chapter 5, just a couple pages over. And while you're turning there, I want you to kind of ponder 2018. Think through 2018 from, from January to today, the 30th of December. There's been things that have gone well. There's things that haven't gone well. We talked about that. But I want you not to dwell on, but to think about some mistakes in learning experiences from 2018. For me, I go back to the example of my beautiful daughter. This time last year, she was two months old. I knew nothing about parenting. Now she's 14 months old. I know about this much about parenting. It's a learning experience, day by day, trying to figure it out. But here's, here's what's awesome here. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to we're going to be thinking through this. Our mistakes that we make, if we're looking at the heart of the issue, is simply that. It is our sinful nature. It is our sinful heart that has caused us to do these things. When we're short with our spouse, when we are looking to get revenge at somebody, when we spread a rumor or gossip about somebody, the list goes on and on and on. But it's our flesh that is acting. It's our lack of walking in the Spirit that we continue to see time and time again leads to our mistakes. I'll be transparent enough to say that I could, 99% of the things that I did wrong in 2018 were because of me. 99.9%, because there's probably one thing maybe. Literally, it's all because of my flesh. The sinful nature of my flesh. Well, why? We're sinful creatures, we're sinful beings. But here's the encouragement. The church that Paul is writing to here in Galatians, they were struggling with the exact same things. For me, that goes from, wow, I'm suffering alone to, okay, there's people that have been struggling with this for thousands of years. So if you're following along, we're going to pick up in verse 16 of Galatians. It says this, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We've we've heard this passage before. A lot of us, we've, we've probably heard Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. Time and time again, from the time that we were younger, because it's the fruit of the Spirit. If we got to walk this hallway down here to my left that's brilliantly painted and has tons of colors... And we ask them the fruit of the Spirit. Some of them are going to be able to sing you a song about the fruit of the Spirit. That's how prevalent it is to know about the fruit of the Spirit. But here's the question. How many of us can say with certainty that we knew the verses that came before it? There's a lot of, lot of things to be, be learned through the context here. So we've, we're looking here in chapters 3 and 4. Paul is making sure that people understand the superiority, the importance of grace over the law. So Galatians 3 and 4, grace over the law. Okay, well, so what? Verses, I mean, chapters 3 and 4 continues on. The law doesn't produce righteousness. So if you start to realize that grace is over the law and that the law doesn't produce righteousness, you're left with the question, so what? What now? What next? And that's where Paul gives us chapters 5 and 6 here. Chapters 5 and 6 show how righteousness is produced by grace through the Holy Spirit. For me, this is, this is the beauty of it, is it's not on us. It's grace. We didn't earn it. You can't earn it. And while that can be discouraging for people that like to work for things, it can also be encouraging to realize that there's nothing that you can do to earn that. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ, as your personal Lord and Savior, that you get that grace in the Holy Spirit. And that's where your righteousness is coming from. But looking at context, even one step further, we're going to dive in just to chapter 5. So chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. We started in verse 16. So the 12 verses that kind of came in front of it. These right here are explaining what the Christian is free from. Verses 1 through 12. What is the Christian free from? Well, now that you know what you're free from, the rest of the chapter continues to talk about what you're free for. It's one thing to know, hey, you know what? I used to struggle with this. Now I'm free from this. Okay, well, what next? What now? How is that important to launch from here and to continue growing? And that's that's what's awesome with this. We know that we're free from all of those things. So what? Let's do something about it. And this is where we see in verse 16. We jump back into our passage. Paul points out that this is a daily battle. This isn't something where it's just nice and easy, happens once or twice, and it's over. This is a daily battle. And it's between the flesh and the spirit. And just like you have to pick sides in a game or pick sides in an argument, and you're always picking sides and right and wrong, this and that. Same thing here, flesh and the spirit. So you look here at the flesh. What is our flesh? Our flesh is our fallen humanity. Our flesh is what we are apart from God. And I think to my spiritual life myself, I think to my my actual being right here in front of you, 
If it were not for God, I would not be here. My flesh is so sinful, as is all of ours, that if it weren't for God, a lot of us would not be right here standing where we are today. But God, we keep looking at that. Paul says this in as plain as day in verse 16. If you or me are walking by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we know walking by the Spirit and walking by the flesh. They're two different things. Paul makes it clear. If you are walking by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's not a question mark. It's not a maybe. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. No. It is plain as day. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if we know what the flesh is, and that's who we are apart from God, and we know what the Spirit is, well, then let's look here. You cannot live both in the flesh and the Spirit. These two cannot occupy the same space. They are in complete opposition of each other. If your flesh is who you are without God, and this walking in the Spirit is who you are after you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you start to realize how absolutely opposed that they are. And I don't want us to overlook this because it's, it's only the receiving of the Spirit through faith in, in Christ that we have the opportunity to have a right and wrong, to have an opportunity to choose between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. Because without that, we're all in our flesh. We're all continuing to fail. Here's, here's something else for us to dive into. We have to realize that there's relationship between faith in the law and spirit in the flesh. There's a lot of things that are at war with, with our minds, our bodies, everything that we continue to go through on a day-to-day basis of the spirit and of the flesh. But here's, here's the cool part. Faith is related to the spirit. Faith is of the spirit. And yet we look here, law-keeping relies on the flesh. Like many of you, I like to follow rules. I like to not get arrested. So it's one of those great things that we do. We follow the law. However, Paul speaking to the flesh and the spirit here is different. He says, these things are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So throughout scripture, we hear the stories of, I do the things that I don't want to do. I do not do the things that I wish to do. Time and time again, we hear all of that. Well, why? Because it's a daily battle. You have to die to your flesh every day. But here's the beauty of that. If you're under the law, the power is only the flesh. If it's just the law, it's just the flesh. But for us, we have the opportunity to have the Spirit. We don't have to face this on our own. We get to walk in the Spirit daily. The example here is one that I've heard before, and I think it's, it's very true. When you're trying to go through life by yourself, you're trying to go through life in the flesh, trying to get things done, problems come up, and you try to put them down by yourself. For me, that never works. The example here is like having a grease fire and trying to throw water on it to fix the problem. For those of you that have never had to deal with a grease fire, you think, okay, put water on a fire, it fixes it. No, you just multiplied your problem. In the same way, when we go through our spiritual life, we see a little grease fire pop up, like, oh, I got this by myself, whoosh. Bigger issues. It's not the flesh. Your flesh is not going to save you. Your flesh is not going to help this problem either. 
That is only by the Spirit that we get to see this. And the beauty of this is Paul understood that that was going to happen. Paul understands through the, the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here that there's socially acceptable sins that are taking place in the church in Galatians. The church in Galatians is struggling with all of these issues, just like the church of today. So we think of the example here. You have law-abiding citizens that follow every single law that's ever been written, ever been created, and even create their own laws to not break the laws that were actually written. So that's right here. You think about that. And then you have these people called Gentiles. Gentiles don't even really know much about the law. They don't have it memorized like the people over there do. They're not perfect, but they're willing to say, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect. Let me learn. Let me grow. Well, if you had the choice between law-abiding citizens and people that had no idea what the law was, where would you pick? For me, on paper, it makes sense. Hey, you know what? I'm going to go hang out with the Pharisees. The Pharisees follow all the rules. They understand all the rules. They're following all the laws. They're following the laws in their flesh you start to realize that it's not there where you need to be hanging out. It's, it's with the Gentiles. People, you don't have to understand all of the laws, all of the rules that are on the paper. You don't have to make up new rules to not break the ones that are already written. You have to love Jesus and say, I want him more. I want to walk in the spirit daily. I want to continue to thirst after him. It has nothing to do with rule following or not following rules. It has everything to do with the heart of the issue. And that's where we look here. Socially acceptable sin in the church that he's writing to. The same sins that the church of today struggles with. Time and time again. So let's look back at our passage. Galatians 5, Paul is saying here, The deeds of the flesh are evident, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things are evident. The deeds of the flesh are evident. So you're able to see here the results of the actions. You're able to see whether you're walking in the flesh or whether you're walking by the Spirit. The result of that is obvious. It's evident. It, it just jumps off the page at you. And yet, when the Holy Spirit is walking through your life, He is working in your life, how is that going to be evident? You can't physically see the Holy Spirit standing next to me. That's why you have the fruit of the Spirit. You start to see that the Holy Spirit is evident in our lives because of the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, and patience, the list goes on. Those are your results, your heart overflowing. You're starting to see that here. The results are more evident than the reasons behind it. You're starting to realize that your actions, your choices, your heart, your mind, everything that took place, your results are way more evident than the reasons behind it. But it gets to this. Me, I'm a guy, I'm type A, I'm extroverted, I'm organized. I like to have a problem with a formula. A plus B always equals C. Unless, and then give me the rule. But I want to know, like, okay, this is how it starts. If you hand me a bookcase, give me the instructions, I'm going to read them, make sure I don't do something wrong. I want the rules and I want the instructions. Guess what? Paul doesn't give us instructions. He doesn't give us methods. He just says one thing. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Well, Paul, I was really hoping you could give me a do this and then do that. And then, you know, when I'm done doing these two things, this is the third thing to try. No. Walk in the Spirit. 
It's that simple for him. He said, hey, walk in the Spirit. Well, for me, it goes back to, the, okay, the methods. Maybe I can just think of a method, put a formula together, add them up, and give them to our students to make them, you know, succeed, right? No. There's no formula for that. It doesn't work that way. But that's the beauty here. Formulas are exactly opposed to walking in the Spirit. Because when you walk in the Spirit, it is a conscious decision to let God be in charge and you listen and obey. When you are obeying, you are starting to walk. God, is this the right one? All right. You're stepping out in faith, trusting him to be Lord of your life. You start to realize that it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. In 2018, we talked about this. A lot of the mistakes that we made were because of ourselves. If I knew at the beginning of 2018 where I'd be standing at the end of 2019 and I had a roadmap of the direction I was supposed to go, I probably would not have made the mistakes that I made. It's that simple. Nobody starts a journey knowing where they're going and where they're starting saying, hey, you know what? I really hope I take a U-turn in Texas to end up in North Carolina. You don't go way out of the way to end up at your destination if you have a choice. Trusting God with that next step. Trusting God with the next step. And time after time, day after day, knowing full well that his steps are yours. But there's beauty in that. If he is directing your path, Proverbs is clear, he's the one in charge, your steps are going to be different than anybody else's around you. Your journey is unique. Nobody in here had the exact same 2018 as the person to their left or their right. If you didn't have the same 2018 as somebody, why are you going to have the same life, testimony, and story as somebody? You're not. The beauty of the gospel and the beauty of your testimony is the fact that your story is unique. Your story is different. But why is that important? Why is, what does that mean for us today? If your story is unique, if your story is unlike anybody else's, it means it's true. Your story is your story. Your testimony of what God has brought you from and what God is doing today. Where is he taking you next? Your story is not wrong. Your story is true. You can't walk up to somebody and be like, hey, your testimony, I think you got that part wrong. That's their story about their walk with God. But this is probably one of my favorite parts about working in the student ministry. You start to see that your testimony and your story can open doors to hearts that have been hardened. When you realize that the same mistakes that you have made, if you are willing to talk about them, will open doors to people that wouldn't hear the gospel before that. For me, I go back to an example with a gentleman sitting on the third row here. I told him I would give him a shout out if he was in the, in the office. Time and time again, he comes with a story. He comes with an example. He says, hey, you know what? I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. And I get to say, hey, guess what? You're not alone. I was your age once. The 27 years that I've had on earth have been awesome. I learned a whole lot. But I've also made some mistakes. And my mistakes are a part of my story. The redemptive story of the gospel of Jesus Christ has led me to be able to tell other people about him. And your story will open doors that mine cannot. Whether it's here in Easley, South Carolina, or whether it's across the world, don't be afraid to share your story. Your story is different. 
So how do we make 2019 look different than 2018? You walk consciously in the Spirit day by day. If you're walking in the Spirit and it's a conscious decision, you have to realize this. Verse 16, Paul doesn't say, hey, when the desires pop up, or maybe they will, maybe they won't. No, the strong desires of the flesh that war against the Spirit. That's not a if it happens or maybe it will happen. It's when it happens. Not little desires, they're strong desires. We're humans. We're fleshly humans. We struggle day by day. But here's, here's a motivational quote that I, I kind of like. I've heard it in the past. And if you know anything about me, I like to coach. I like student ministry. I like one-liners. I'm, I really like those kind of things. So this has always stuck with me. It applies to every asset of our life. You don't win wars accidentally. You must devote yourself to the battle, committed to the fight with everything you've got. Anything less will result in defeat. Nobody walks into the day and says, hey, well, maybe I'll try this, maybe not, I don't know. You don't walk into war that way. You don't walk into battle that way. And if we've already seen here that there is a daily battle, we need to wake up, pull up our bootstraps and say, God, let's go. Let's get it done today. Let's walk in the Spirit. Because you have to consciously choose to walk in the Spirit day by day. And here's the thing, it's not by accident. It has to have a purpose. You have to do it intentionally. And the last thing is this, depend and yield on the Holy Spirit moment by moment. For me, I have this beautiful bundle of joy. She wakes up at 5.55 to 6.05 every single morning. I usually get an elbow or a nudge, and I get up, I walk in there, she's reaching up and says, Dada or Daddy. And in that moment, there's nothing on earth that I would do besides pick her up and love her. And that moment... It is easy to love her. It is easy to obey. It is easy to just do that. Well, 11.30, 12 o'clock rolls around. She's now consumed enough food and water and bottles. In the moment where I'm handed the diaper that smells terrible, do I still choose to love my daughter as much at that time as I did at 6 a.m.? The answer should be yes. But is it as easy? No, it's not. The same thing for us. When we're going through this, this life, this journey, it is easy to praise God when things are on the mountaintops. It is easy on today on the 30th of December to say, hey God, thanks for 2018. Let's leave it behind. I'm looking forward to 19. Let's go. And you're excited about that. It's hard when you're down in the pits. When you feel like there's nowhere for you to go, it is hard. But God, God is always there. Now close with this. How are you walking into 2019? Are you walking with doubt and insecurity about the new year? Or are you walking with boldness and confidence, knowing that whatever 2019 holds in front of you, that the God of this universe has ordained it? Let us pray. God, we thank you for this morning that you've allowed us to gather here once again in your house, Lord, just to be able to see what you are continuing to do through your church, Lord. We pray right now for the the hearts and the minds of your people that have heard this message, Lord, that we be able to take what we have heard today, apply it to our lives, and leave changed. Not the same when we leave this place as when we walked in. It's in your name I pray. Amen.